Good morning to all of you. It's good to be here in the house of the Lord again this morning. And uh, we're going to be looking at a rather big subject this morning. And uh, I hope that we can do so. The ushers are passing out handouts to hopefully help you be able to take home and think about some of these things uh, after we leave here this morning as well. I might just mention as well, it feels like we're covering a lot of material this morning, and I have no intention to keeping us longer than we need, but since lunch is being served here, it may be a couple of minutes past 12 uh, until we get done, given that it's already 11.30. Just to start out, what is your response when you've been treated unfairly, when you've been falsely accused, you've been betrayed by a friend, someone takes advantage of you? or intentionally attacks or hurts you. You know, how we respond in situations like that tells a lot about ourselves. Two instances I want to relate. In 1984, 22-year-old Jennifer Thompson was raped at knife point by an intruder that broke into her house in the middle of the night. She intentionally focused on his facial features so that she could identify him in the future, and she managed to get away and went to the police. Within a couple of days, she had identified him twice, singling him out, uh, singling Ronald Cotton out as the perpetrator. Based on her positive identification, he was convicted and sentenced to life in prison. The only problem was he was innocent. There were multiple appeals, including Ronald learning who the actual perpetrator was while he was in prison, but Jennifer remained absolutely certain that it was Ronald, and the appeals were all denied. On a much lesser scale, when I was 16, 17 years old, I don't remember exactly, I, along with several other friends, were accused by a fellow church member of actions that were just simply false. The accuser was a respected adult, and I was an immature teenager. Um, My parents knew the truth, my friends knew the truth, but the accusations didn't go away. At some point in life, all of us are going to face situations like that. We're going to face false accusations. We're going to face deep hurts, outright lies, or betrayal. And every one of us are going to choose, are we going to forgive are we not going to forgive? This morning, I want us to think about how much Jesus forgave us so that we will choose to forgive others, even the most wretched wrongdoing. To start out with, forgiveness is central and unique to Christianity. Forgiveness is central and unique to Christianity. In fact, think about uh, how hollow Christianity would be without the forgiveness of sin. And that's the second blank there, that Christianity is hollow without the forgiveness of sin. What would it be like if Christianity didn't include the forgiveness of sins? One of the basic premises of us is that we're sinners and we're in need of a Redeemer and a Savior. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. If our sins weren't covered by the blood of Jesus through the ultimate sacrifice, what's the point of Jesus' suffering and death? 
The atonement, which we sang about in our opening songs this morning, is Christ's work in bringing sinners in right relationship with God. And that's the very essence of Christianity. And no other religion promises the forgiveness of sins. In fact, no other religion offers a solution to the human sin problem. Furthermore, no other religion even emphasizes uh, forgiveness. It's an optional characteristic. Hinduism says that consequences of sin are paid through cycles of reincarnation. Buddhism, forgiveness is okay if it eases your inner turmoil. But there's nothing about a forgiving God. Islam encourages forgiveness, but it's not mandated, and there's certainly no such thing as a personal God. Judaism, eye for an eye, retribution is expected. Forgiveness is optional. And for all of these, forgiveness of our sins by a deity is completely absent, and our sins can only be negated by good deeds. So forgi- and then forgiving others is simply optional. If it makes us feel better, sure, go ahead and forgive. But that's, that's kind of the essence of it. Whereas for Christians, forgiveness has been graciously given to the disciples of Jesus. Been reading a number of verses, and I have uh, portions of the uh, scriptures that I'm reading included in the handout. They're not the entire scriptures. <clears throat> Colossians 2, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. God has forgiven all of our sins, not just some of them, but all of them. He canceled the record of debt. He eliminated the debt. In modern terms, we could say that God exonerated us from our sins. He declares our sins paid in full. And it's interesting, only God can do, do that. We can't forgive to that degree. God can only forgive our sins and eradicate the debt that we owe. Ephesians 1 In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and on earth. We are redeemed by Jesus Christ through his blood, which covers all our sins. A familiar parable uh, we're going to read here next, and um, I, don't have, I have the text of the parable included, not the opening sentences to that. It starts out, Peter coming to Jesus and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Peter was being generous, like, should I forgive him seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say you, to you seven times, but 70 times seven. 
Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold and with his wife and children all that he had and payments to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him and saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should not you have mercy on your fellow servant? As I had mercy on you, and in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he could, should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This parable really begins to put into perspective what Christ did for us and how, how, there's, um, how we should relate to those that wrong us. Both of them responded exactly the same way, saying, have mercy, I'll pay you everything. But I'd like for us to think about it a little bit, what this really was. One denaria was a day's wages for a Roman soldier. So this, the lesser servant, the second one, owed 100 denaria. So he'd be like four or five months wages. And using $45,000 a year as a average salary, as a salary, 100 denaria would be about $18,000. So this was not a small, a tiny sum of money, but it was, uh, yeah, it was significant, four or five months wages, until you compare it to what the other man owed. One talent is equal to 6,000 denaria or 24 years of wages, or over a million dollars. So that's one talent. How many talents? 10,000 talents he owed. So 10,000 talents is equal to 240,000 years of wages, or $10.8 billion. So even though he said, I will pay it all. Uh, there was no way he was ever going to live. No one lives 240,000 years. Given that God has forgiven us the equivalent of 240,000 years of wages, any wrongdoing or injustice that we suffer at the hands of others, no matter how atrocious it might be, is going to be microscopic in comparison to what Christ has already forgiven on our behalf. Forgiveness is freedom. When we're willing to forgive others, there is a freedom that comes that cannot even be described. We, are no, longer, we no longer carry the weight of that 
horrible thing done to us or against us, and we're able to live above the pain, giving that pain over to Jesus. Is it easy? No, it's not easy. Is it worth it? Absolutely, yes. I have four characteristics that I identify, uh, that I'm uh, characterizing forgiveness with. I'm cer- it's certainly not exhaustive. But number one, forgiveness is required. Jesus modeled forgiveness, and he also expects us and actually requires us to forgive others. Um, the, the Lord's Prayer is a model prayer for all of us. It's simple. It's comprehensive, and yet it's very profound. We're familiar with it all. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And Jesus goes on. For if ye forgive men their trespasses... Your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus, we pray. I'd say that all of us have prayed. Forgive us our debts, praying to God, as we forgive others. God, forgive us in the same way that we forgive those who have wronged us. And if we hold conditions on those that have wronged us, I think we can expect a similar response from God. And Jesus clarifies that further after the prayer. He says, if we forgive others, God forgives us. If we refuse to forgive others, I can't read it anyway except saying that your Father will not forgive your trespasses. God is God. And Jesus seems to be saying that like the parable, if we're unwilling to forgive these microscopic wrongs that others do toward us, why should God forgive that astronomical number amount against my sins? Mark 11 also says, and whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone. That's pretty broad. So that, we're to forgive, so that, your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. And there's other commands in Scripture as well. Um, Ephesians 4. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. All three of these verses are commands. They are mandates given by God through Paul to the Ephesian believers. And here we're commanded to forgive just like Christ forgave us. Did Christ set any limits or conditions? No. He forgave everything. And he declared us innocent before God. Colossians 3. Putting on, therefore... As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. 
And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. We're to bear with each other. If there's an issue, we're to forgive as Jesus forgave. And then he says, you also must forgive. That doesn't sound optional to me. Not if we want God's forgiveness. And it's impossible to love others if we don't forgive. Luke 10, 27 is the great command. We're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. No one can claim to love a person that they refuse to forgive. If anyone says, I love God and hate his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, and we could substitute the word forgive, I think, in there. He who does not forgive his brother who he has not seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love, must also forgive his brother. If we don't love others, and if we don't forgive someone, Neither do we really love God. Whether we like to say that or not, it is, that's what Scripture is telling us. If we refuse to forgive our brother, if we hold a grudge against someone, we cannot love God. It's simply impossible to love God and love others without forgiveness. Secondly, forgiveness is relinquishing control. So forgiveness is required, and it's relinquishing control. Human nature is to escalate situations with retaliation. The retaliation is greater than the original offense, which then causes the other person then to retaliate back in even greater measure, and it just goes on and on. Jewish law introduced the principle of an eye for an eye, or retaliation only equal to the offense committed. But then Jesus calls his disciples to a much higher standard yet, and that is to break the cycle of revenge. Jesus calls us to actually love our enemies. We're to love those who wrong us. We are to de-escalate the revenge cycle by treating those who wronged us with kindness and love. Luke 6 is, the, uh, is Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus speaking. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And if you wish that others would, and as you wish others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies... Do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, 
and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Forgiveness is giving up, is relinquishing control of any given situation. It is trusting it to God's control. And it's hard. We don't want to let go. We were wronged. We are deeply hurt. But forgiveness is telling God that I give this wrong over to you for you to handle. And along with that saying, God, you know what happened. You know how badly it hurt. You know it was untrue. But then rather than hanging on to it and insisting that the other person admit they were wrong, I will relinquish my desire for controlling the outcome and give that to Jesus. When we forgive, like I mentioned earlier, it's not the same as God forgiving our sins. We cannot declare the other person innocent in the eyes of God. We can, however, graciously release them, give them release from the obligation they owe us. It doesn't change the reality that they wronged us. And in the eyes of God, that wrong is still there. It doesn't change the legal consequences they may incur or even consequences from others. There's natural consequences that come with wrongdoing. It doesn't change any of that. But the difference is that no longer do we require something from that person. Rather, we just simply give them something they don't deserve, just exactly like Jesus did to us. Forgiveness is declaring that our trust in God is, is strong enough to handle the situation justly. Going to Romans 12, and uh, this is similar to uh, the, another pa- Ephesians passage that we had read, or another passage we had read. Bless those who persecute you, Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those that weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome by, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. God is just, and he will hold everyone accountable for their own actions. We may not see it, and it may not be the way that we would like, but God is completely just, and he will repay Our responsibility is to do the opposite of what is expected, and that is to repay good uh, with, uh, repay evil with good, repay good for evil. When someone does evil to us, we respond by doing something good in return. We will suffer injustice now. Life won't be fair, but God is calling us to model and to show the world and those that intend evil, that this is response Jesus would give, which is to forgive and to love even in the most impossible situation. 
Now, I'll add that this is not the same as reconciliation. Reconciliation requires two people to reconcile, to want to reconcile. Forgiveness is my response regardless of the other person's response. Reconciliation is both wanting to have that relationship restored. And so we cannot force the other person's response, but we can choose how we respond. And neither does forgiveness mean that we trust the person in the same way again, uh, because trust is earned, and uh, we may not be able to. Over time, if there has been forgiveness, if there has been reconciliation, many times trust can be rebuilt over time. <clears throat> the third characteristic, forgiveness is recurring. We saw at the beginning of Matthew 18, Peter wanted to think, thought seven times was generous. Jesus said no, 70 times seven. Actually, it says 77 times in the King James, but we're to forgive many times. The King James would be saying not 490 times, 70 times. Seven. Jesus, with his language, was not putting a limit on the number, but basically it's a figure of speech saying, don't even try to keep track, just keep forgiving. So we're... We're, the forgiveness is a recurring event. We do it again and again. We forgive many, many times. There's no limit. Forgive as often as it takes. We never stop forgiving. I have no idea where the phrase forgive and forget comes from, but it's not biblical. In fact, uh, I believe remembering helps us forgive. If we forgot, what would, I mean, it would just go away. But by Remembering again, we have to forgive again. We get to forgive again, and we do that again and again and again. And that's a pattern that will happen literally hundreds of times for serious offenses, perhaps multiple times a day, perhaps over a period of many years, but it will just keep happening. We, when we remember, we forgive again and again and again. The fourth characteristic is that Forgiveness is reflecting Jesus Christ. Forgiveness is one of the most powerful ways to show the sinful world around us what Jesus did for us as well as for them. 1 John 3.16 says this, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our life for the brothers. Jesus gave his life for us, and he hadn't sinned at all. He didn't deserve it. He did it because he loved us. And so much smaller, in a much smaller scale, we have the same opportunity to sacrifice our desperate desire for retaliation or justice by doing what Jesus did, just on a much reduced scale. Jesus and Stephen modeled this as they were being put to death. Uh, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. And as they were stoning Stephen, he cried out, as he was falling to his knees, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. While this doesn't say that they forgave their persecutors, we can conclude that they did because they're actually asking God to not hold the sin of murdering them uh, against them, even though they were completely innocent. Briefly looking at unforgiveness. So we've looked at forgiveness. It's required. It's relinquishing control. 
It's recurring and it's reflecting Jesus Christ. Forgiveness is freedom. Unforgiveness is bondage. It is just the opposite of forgiveness. It's imprisonment. By refusing to forgive, we are under the control of someone else's evil actions. Yet we can't change them. We hang on to it because we deserve justice. We want retaliation because it was wrong. But unforgiveness is sin. 1 John 3, verse 10. By this it is evident who are children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Remember, loving and forgiving are almost synonymous. And he says that we're children of the devil if, we, if love is not evident in us. To refuse to forgive is disobedience to God. Going back to Ephesians 4.32, be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving each other as God in Christ forgave you. We are to follow that pattern. At the end of Matthew 18, the parable that we read, and in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. He said, also, my heavenly father will, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brothers from your heart. I mean, not just by word, but from your heart. As I consider the seriousness that Jesus attributes to our forgiveness of others, it seems that our unwillingness to forgive another is a form of blasphemy against God. It's poking a finger right in the eye of God. Jesus died to forgive our $10.8 billion debt. And we're unwilling to forgive our brother an $18,000 debt. Secondly, unforgiveness destroys. It's a sin and it destroys. Ephesians 4.31 Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. I don't think it's a coincidence that this verse precedes the command to forgive. Because I believe it describes very accurately the characteristics of a person who does not forgive. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor. Another word is yelling, slander, malice. Those are when a person refuses to let go of a wrong committed them. These characteristics will emerge over time. They may not be obvious to everyone, but they're there in the heart. And at times, and probably unexpected times, one or more of these things will come out. In addition to that, for unforgiveness cannot encourage and build up like we're instructed to do in 1 Corinthians 5. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up. Instead, it destroys. The reality is the best description that I can think of for unforgiveness is that it's like a deadly cancer or maybe a better term would be an acid that's eating you from the inside out. The pain of the wrong done to us never diminishes and it actually intensifies over time and spreads to other relationships as well. 
The third characteristic of unforgiveness is victory for Satan. The bottom line is unforgiveness is exactly how Satan wants us to respond. Because unforgiveness gets us to focus on ourselves and how we've been wronged, and it completely disregards and overlooks what Jesus did for us in extending his infinite mercy toward me. After being falsely accused by a fellow church member in my youth, I refused to forgive. It was false. I knew it was false. I was innocent of these allegations. I deserved an apology. For about five years, I became bitter, angry, um, distanced myself from God, came close to walking away from God and the church. I was not at a good place spiritually. Finally, I relented and chose to forgive, and I had to do it again and again and again. I forgave more times than I can remember over a period of multiple years. But I was at peace, and the bitterness and the anger was going away, and uh, the relationship with God was much better. To this day, I have never received an apology or any kind of admission of wrongdoing from the other person. But I am totally at peace. And there's actually mutual respect between me and the other person today. <clears throat> Going back to the other story about Jennifer and Ronald. In 1995, Ronald Cotton was exonerated by DNA evidence. He was freed from prison and declared innocent of the crime that he was previously declared guilty of. He had served 11 years of prison for a crime that he never committed, and he was in prison during the prime of his life, if you will, mid-20s to mid-30s. While he was in prison, he read the Bible and he became a Christian. Two years after Ronald was released from prison, Jennifer and her husband agreed to personally meet Ronald. During that first meeting, Ronald clearly expressed no hard feelings and total forgiveness to Jennifer's wrong, wrong accusation that had taken 11 years of his life. Since that time, Jennifer and Ronald have actually formed an unlikely friendship. They have traveled around the country telling their stories together and advocating for criminal justice reform. Forgiveness or unforgiveness? Each one of us chooses. As I see it in Scripture, forgiveness is central and unique to Christianity. It's something that no other religion even comes close to offering. And as we saw, forgiveness is required. It's relinquishing control. It's recurring. And it's reflecting Jesus Christ. And to refuse to forgive is sin it destroys us and is a victory for Satan. God is calling each one of us to forgive those that have wronged us, those that have falsely accused us, those that have misused us, you name it, whatever it is. He wants us to do that in a way, same way that Jesus Christ forgave us.